feel bad about it. I don't know why it's so funny when people fall down. I kind of wonder, does Jesus laugh when people fall down? Probably not, but it makes me laugh. Good morning, guys. I just have to say, the 11 o'clock service is in the house. You guys, this is my third service, and I don't know what you got more asleep or you drank some Cokes out there or what, but you guys are on fire and so fun to be with you. My name's Amanda. You might remember me from the summer. We had a fun talk about adultery a few about a month ago. Um, and tonight, today I'm back to do to kick off our new series for the fall. It's called the Amateur Series. We're gonna spend five weeks here in church and then maybe in your life groups talking about how to become an amateur. Who's excited about becoming an amateur? So those videos we just saw of all those people like falling down and hitting each other in the heads, were those professionals or amateurs? Yeah, those were amateurs. So when I say the word amateur, what does that word mean? Anybody know what that word means? What do you think of? Back there. Not professional, which means you don't get paid, right? Okay, over here. A rookie. A rookie, okay. Okay, so she says, you read my notes. She says, an amateur is someone who doesn't get paid. They do it for love. They do it for fun. That is exactly what we're going to talk about in this series. There are three definitions of amateur. And the first one is someone who's not a professional. They, they engage in a study, a sport, an activity for fun, for pleasure, not for money. Amateur comes from a dorky Latin word, amar, for love. Amateur means you are in it for love. That's why you do it. An amateur tennis player plays tennis because they love tennis. Does an amateur tennis player play tennis because they hate football? No, that's not why. They, oh, hi back there. Some of my friends in the back. Uh, they do it because they love tennis. So an amateur is in it for love. The second thing is what most people think about being an amateur is it someone who doesn't know what they're doing, okay? An amateur that's inexperienced or unskilled. So you might go to amateur night at a comedy club and it's like people who really want to tell jokes but maybe they're not that good at it. Unlike Chives, I mean Chives is clearly a professional joke teller. Yeah, maybe not. And then the last definition we're gonna talk about in this series is an amateur refers to an athlete. So if you're an amateur athlete, you can't get paid for your sport. You, you just do it because you love the sport, you like competition, maybe you, um, you play for a college. But if you take money as a pro, there are certain things you can't do. You can't play collegiate sports anymore. You, if you get drafted into the NFL, you can't play for your college anymore. Now you just go pro. You're getting paid. Um, it used to be that you couldn't participate in the Olympics in the United States. So does amateur necessarily mean you're lousy? Does amateur mean you're a slacker? Probably not. Amateurs, some amateurs work way harder, and they just do it because they love it. So we're going to talk about what that looks like in life. The Bible talks about what we love a lot. It talks about our hearts a lot. And I know eighth grade boys are like, yeah, can we really, can we get in there? Can we talk about our hearts today? I want to talk about my heart. But the Bible talks about your heart a lot. And one of the things it says is, as your water would reflect your face, or as you look in a mirror, your life reflects your heart. So what is going on in your life 
is what you love. What you spend time on. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So where you spend your money, where you spend your time, what you have in your backpack, what you have on your iPhone, what you post on Instagram, we could figure out what you love. If you were going to look at me and figure out what I love, you look closely, you might notice I have a tattoo on my ankle. I got myself a tattoo for my 40th birthday, and it is, I'll show you later, it's a needle and thread, which is probably maybe like the dorkiest tattoo you could possibly get, but I love to sew, so I have a needle, and the thread forms a heart to say, you know what, I love to sew. I was willing to, you know, endure pain to, sh to show people that by getting a tattoo. Um, you could also tell that because you walk through my house and I have needles on the floor, so you should probably wear shoes because I drop stuff everywhere and I'm willing to suffer and also maybe let my family suffer because I love to sew. I'm also learning to skateboard, and there is some, um, some pain involved there as well. I have had a few falls, and I started to think, maybe I'm getting arthritis like an old lady, but uh, no, it's because I keep falling down, but I love to skateboard. So we could talk about, we're going to talk a lot in this series about what you guys love, like figuring out what is it that I love, and how's God going to use that to influence the world? Does God care about what I love? Uh, you might meet a friend at school, some, somebody comes up to you and you're making friends at school and they say, you get to know each other, you say, what, what do you like, um, what kind of music do you like? And you might say, I love, um, and I know I'm not cool, okay, so if this is a stupid band to say, you can just roll your eyes, but like, I love Imagine Dragons, like, I just love them. And because the other person really thinks you're awesome, they're like, oh, I love Imagine Dragons too, and that's like my favorite band. But then you like happen to look in their iTunes library and they don't have a single Imagine Dragons song. They probably don't love Imagine Dragons. Like if someone says, gosh, I just, you know, I really love Jesus. Yeah, I love Jesus. Like some guy thinks you're cute and he'd kind of like to be your boyfriend and he knows you go to church. He's like, oh yeah, I, I like Jesus. Jesus is cool. But like you can tell by how he spends his time that maybe, or what he does, maybe he doesn't love Jesus. So Jesus is saying, you're, I'm going to see, if you love me, I'm going to see it in your life. If you love Whatever you love, I'm going to see in your life. I have learned something about myself that I am not a dog lover. I know. Everybody boos. Just stay with me. I am a dog liker. I like dogs very much. I want, if you have a dog, I want to pet it. I want to pick it up. I want to play with it. But I don't own a dog. I haven't bought a dog. And my kids want a dog. But my husband and I keep saying, you know what? We don't have enough money. We don't have enough space. They're a lot of work. They get hair on everything, you know? So we don't buy a dog. Now, if you love a dog, you buy a dog, whether you have money or space. Anyway, right? Like, if you love a dog, you have that. I have a friend with a one-bedroom apartment. She has a German freaking shepherd, right? Like, that's not what you put in there. And so I was over at my friend Wendy and David's house. They're an older couple, and they never had kids. They got married, love each other, but they're like, should we have kids? She says, and he's like, well, if we have kids, who's going to watch them? And she's like, good point. Let's not have any. So they did not have kids. But they have golden retrievers. This is a picture of a golden retriever with his lots of hair and his big slobbery mouth. I was at Wendy and David's house one day on the couch, sitting in a lot of dog hair, being okay with it. And uh, the dog came up and gave me a kiss in my open mouth. Like, tell the time, go and see what I'm at. 
And I'm like, ah. And David looks at me and goes, well, you know, that's better than if your kid had licked you in the mouth. I'm like, it's so much worse than if my kid had licked me in the mouth because my kid does not lick her own bottom. You know, I know where my kid's mouth's been. I don't like your dog's tongue in my mouth. Now I tell you that I have two daughters and they have both spit up in my mouth at different times. It did not bother me as much. Because we would do this fun game, you know, we are babies. Next picture is like, they, I lay on the floor and you hold your baby up and you're like, hello baby, I love you. And the baby goes, ah. <coughs> and you'd be like, I love you. Because I am a baby lover. When I was 26, I had a one bedroom apartment. Not a lot of money. I had a baby on purpose because I am a baby lover. That's what people do. When you love something, you get one whether you really know what you're doing or not. Talk about being an amateur. So I was motivated by love to become a mom, and I still love being a mom. I have an eighth grader and I have a fifth grader, two girls, and I love my kids more than anything else besides my husband and Jesus. Um, but there are other things that can motivate us besides love, okay? Number one thing that motivates people besides love, I think, is fear. People are super motivated by what they're afraid of. Let me give you an illustration. If there's a bear chasing me, I am extremely motivated. What does motivated mean? What? High blood sugar. If you're motivated, like, what does that mean? If I am motivated to do something, what does it mean? You really want to do it. One of the others should have said, I'm inspired. You have a good reason. Go ahead. Yeah, you are encouraged. So I am motivated. So there's a bear, and I'm very motivated to get away from that bear. Now I know, I think, Google this, I'm not sure. I don't think you're supposed to run away from a bear. You might, but I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm running from that bear. I'm getting away as fast as I can. Do I really care where I'm going to end up? No, I just don't want to be inside the bear. So fear is a lousy motivator, boys and girls, because... When you're afraid, you're running away from something and not to it. And so the Bible says over and over again not to be afraid, partly because we are afraid, and partly because fear is a lousy motivator. We don't get to be the person we really want to be by being afraid. We might be afraid of, let's have the next slide, we might be afraid of a lot of things. We might be afraid of what people think of us. We might be afraid of rejection. We might be afraid of not being valuable or being seen as um, broken, or being seen as an amateur. I don't want people to know I don't know what I'm doing, and that motivates me. I might be motivated by jealousy. She has something I want, and so my motivation is to be more like her. Or I might be motivated by competition. I don't like the feeling that he's better than me, so I'm gonna motivate myself to competition. And I'm not talking about good competition in sports. I'm talking about like, I need to be better than someone to feel okay about myself. We could be motivated by shame. Shame basically means not that I've done something wrong, but I am something wrong. And if I have a lot of shame, and I'm ashamed of who I am, I am not running towards the life Jesus has for me. I'm just trying to hide. That's a strong motivator if I'm ashamed of myself. My motivation for a lot of my life was to be 
perfect, really. I don't have another word for it. I just was very motivated by achievement. I wanted to, I didn't want anybody to see any of my flaws. I wanted to get really good grades. I pushed really hard in school to be at the top of my class and then to get into college. I had a plan. It went like this. Get good grades in junior high, get into honors, then get great grades to get into college, then graduate with honors and get a good job. While I'm there somewhere, meet a husband. Got that one. Get married, get a great job, have a baby, then your life will be what you want it to be. That's what I wanted. And that's what I got. When I was 27, I was married. I had a two-year-old daughter. I was the editor-in-chief of a magazine here in Orange County on parenting, which is funny because I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> but I was writing all kinds of stuff to help other people parent, like, here's how you should pick a school for your kid, as I have an 18-month-old child. Didn't really work. And I really loved my daughter. And I really actually wanted to have another baby. But I didn't think I had enough money or enough space and so I kept working, even though I was so tired. And I saw other women being working moms, and they seemed to be doing it great. So I'm like, I'm going to be a big, fat baby if I quit my job. So I have to keep working. And I went to God in prayer, and I said, I started to ask God, you guys are getting some stuff that the other services didn't get. I started, because I think you can handle this big God story. I started to ask God can I have another baby? Do we have enough money? And my husband had created like a spreadsheet for the next seven years of how much money we might make and if we we're going to be able to afford for me to quit working and be home with my kids. And I started to explain the spreadsheet to God. I thought maybe he needed to understand all of our different problems, and I started to explain it to him. And God whispers to me. I actually hear God speak through his spirit, and he said, shh, I've got you covered. I'm like, that seems like a weird way for God to talk. But for a week, I would ask God, God, what should I do, and what should I do? And he'd say, shh, I got you covered. And then I was driving to work one day, and I heard God say, you don't have to be stressed out to be valuable. And I'm like, wow. I thought I was working because I was afraid to not have enough money. But really, I was motivated by the fear that I wouldn't matter if I wasn't working so hard. And I'd quit my job. And here's this amazing miracle. A month later, my husband got a raise that made the exact amount of money we had in our spreadsheet that we needed. We thought we needed for me to be able to quit working. And I got to move on and have another baby. And I've been an amateur woman for several years, raising my kids and doing what I really love and speaking to mom's groups. That's what I do professionally, but I still do it as an amateur but here's the thing, you guys. If you want to be an amateur in it for love, you first need to know that God loves you. You have to be rooted in love. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote most of the New Testament. And he was a perfectionist, if there ever was one. I mean, this guy was one of the smartest guys in the world. But here's what he said is the most important thing if you want to follow Jesus. He says this in Ephesians. And if you want to take notes, you can write down this verse the um, reference for this verse. He says, I pray that you, the church, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is this love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So to be an amateur in every sense of the word, to be in it for love, 
to know that it's okay that you're inexperienced and to be a competitive athlete, like training your heart to do what you love, you first have to know how much God loves you. That's more important than how smart you are, how many Bible verses you memorize, how good and holy you are, how, you know, how clean your room is, how good you are at sports, whatever the things are that people are telling you make you feel valuable, none of those things matter as much as knowing that God loves you and gives you value because of that. It changes everything. I want to talk about some, an, an example about the difference between going pro, being a professional, and being an amateur. Here are two of the greatest athletes that you, of like the last 10 years, a picture of them. You can tell me who they are. Maybe it's coming. Who are they? Michael Phelps. Who's the girl? Katie Ledecky. Amazing swimmers, right? Katie Ledecky is the most decorated female swimmer of all time. She's won 14 world championships and five gold medals. No one has ever swam as well as Katie Ledecky. Katie is an amateur swimmer. When she finished at the Olympics, she was offered all kinds of deals to go pro and get paid to swim, and she chose to stay an amateur so she could go to Stanford and she could still um, participate. She wanted to be an athlete and a student, and she wanted to swim because she loves it. If you're an amateur athlete, you swim for love, you're not accountable to anyone. Do you know what that means? Accountable means you don't answer to anybody except yourself. So she's going to compete because she loves it. And you watch interviews with her, and she loves that decision. She's at peace in her life. She's just awesome. Then we have Michael Phelps, who is the most decorated Olympic athlete of all time, right? I mean, like, he's crazy, crazy. He went pro when he was 16 years old. Speedo gave him a contract. How many guys love the Speedos? Speedos? Yeah. Justin raised his hand in the last service, which I just want you to be aware of. So, But Michael Phelps got a lot of money to be a swimmer. He became a pro swimmer, and he just, you know, he just kicked butt as a swimmer. But then by the time he went to the 2012 Olympics, in interviews you might have seen him do before Rio last year, he said he was so sick of swimming. He was not motivated to swim. He was doing it, but he didn't want to get in the pool. He was just going to a pretty dark place. So he swam. He said that that was going to be his last Olympics. And he didn't do as well as he, he wished he had. He still, you know, beat almost everybody, but not as great as he wanted to do. And then he went to a really dark place. He talks about really struggling with depression, going into his room, locking the door, and not coming out for days. He got himself into some trouble with alcohol and with the law. And he talks about what finally happened because he didn't know what to do. He'd been a pro swimmer since he was 16. What is his life without swimming? That's, that's everything he knows. That's who, where his identity was. I am a professional swimmer. And then he said that he started to believe that he was loved. I don't know if Michael Phelps knows Jesus. We can pray for him that he would come to know Jesus. But he knew that his family and his friends loved him, and they reached out to him in love, and he said that's what brought him out of where he was. And he got back into the pool, and he started training, and he came, went to Rio and broke, like, every record there was and became the most decorated Olympian of all time. But you know what? He was a pro, but I think he was swimming like an amateur. Do you know what I'm saying? He came back to the place where he was swimming for love. He knew he was loved. He wasn't swimming to prove anything. He swam because it was what he was, like, meant to do, and he loved it. Jesus wants you to live a life that you love. 
the things that you are meant to do. Jesus is not asking you to go pro because going pro would be like he's going to pay you and you're accountable to him and you're afraid, maybe a little afraid of Jesus like he's your boss and you better keep swimming well or he's going to pull your contract. That is not our God. Jesus offers you amateur status permanently. Do what you love. Be deeply loved. Know that you're valuable. And train like heck. Train really hard because you want to run towards what you love. And here's the boss you get as an amateur. You don't really get a boss when you get Jesus. You get a brother and a savior. You get a God who loves you. And this is what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So as an amateur, you're, you, God wants you to be someone who is rested, loved, creative, free. We're going to talk about all that stuff in this series. And I'm excited for you to know, to begin to know how much God loves you. I want to encourage you in this. It took me, when I was, sometimes we sing these songs about your love has set me free, right? You are, you are, you are my freedom. We lift you higher. Your love, your love, your love, right? Your love has set me free. And sometimes we sing that, we're like, I don't really know what that means. Set me free from what? Stick with Jesus. Keep coming here because you're going to learn that God's love setting you free means you get to be an amateur. You get to be so loved by God that you can be exactly who he made you to be, and that sets you free. It sets you free from fear, from shame. It sets you free to live a life you love. Let me pray for you before our worship team starts singing, okay? Father God, I thank you that you love us so much. I pray that these students would be rooted and established in love, that they would have the power with all of your holy people to know how deep, wide, and long is the love of Jesus, and that love surpasses everything else. God bless this series. Bless these students. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's see you